Welcome to The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig, a podcast which endeavors to expose the truth behind legal stories that are distorted by mainstream media. And now, here's your host, passionate truth seeker and veteran attorney, Jill Rosenzweig. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig. I'm your host, Jill Rosenzweig, and uh, I am back from my trip. I was away for a couple weeks. I apologize. I did not put out an episode during the time that I was away. Uh, It was actually a lot harder to record an episode uh, in Europe with my two kids uh, than I had expected, Um, but it was kind of nice to have some time, and the trip was amazing. So uh, I'm back. I'm a little bit jet lagged, but uh, I'm ready to record. So bear with me today. I hope it's uh, a decent episode that uh, is somewhat enlightening. I decided that today I want to talk to you about something that I actually didn't know about. Um, So I just wanted to share with you what I had researched about this. And um, I think it's something that is definitely topical and relevant in terms of uh, the violent things that are going on in, especially in the United States, but also in other parts of the world. Um, but this is a law that's specific to the U.S. Um, and it's called uh, extreme risk laws. Um, and so these laws are oftentimes referred to as red flag laws. And the idea behind these laws is that um, it empowers family members and law enforcement and other people that are living with people who are showing signs that they may um, commit a mass shooting or they're showing signs that they are um, a risk to themselves, that they, they may be a suicide risk or a risk to, you know, shooting another person or, you know, these school shootings, things of that nature, where you see that there are certain red flags, you hear the person saying things about, you know, having plans to kill other people or to commit suicide And these laws give you the ability to then go to court and seek an order from the court preventing that person from having access to firearms. And I think it's so important to understand this because I know that when I see that there's been another mass shooting or, you know, a school shooting in particular, those are particularly disturbing and upsetting, I guess, especially to me because I have young kids who go to school every day. Um, you know, most of the time, and there are statistics on this, there's a, in a, over 90% of these cases, uh, people that know the shooter will say that they saw signs that the person was thinking about doing something that was violent, or they were just showing signs that there was something significantly wrong with them. And I usually will ask myself, well, I don't understand how this happened, Uh, especially when you hear that the person is posting these crazy things on social media, why is it that these people are not being stopped uh, ahead of time and these horrible situations are not being prevented from occurring? And when you look at the uh, laws that are in place, uh, it's, it's easy to understand what the problem is. There's kind of a gap in the law and these people are kind of falling through the cracks of those gaps. And so I just wanted to explain what the federal law is and explain why these extreme risk laws are helping in terms of closing that gap and making it harder for these situations to happen in the first place. So under current federal law, a person is barred from having guns only if they fall into certain very specific categories of people who are prohibited 
from owning a firearm or having access to a firearm. And those are people who have been convicted of certain crimes. Uh, They are either adjudicated as mentally ill or involuntarily committed to a psychiatric hospital. Um, And also people are subject to a final domestic violence restraining order. Um, Those are really the people who are restricted from having access to firearms. But people who are displaying warning signs that they're considering committing suicide or other acts of violence, but they don't fall under these very specific categories that I just mentioned, are not prohibited from buying or possessing guns. And the idea of the extreme risk laws is to protect uh, the public from allowing people who are in crisis from having access to firearms when they don't quite meet the criteria that's in place under federal law. So under federal law, they'd still have access to firearms. But then there are these state laws that are being passed to give people the ability to go to court and present to the court reasons why they feel this person should not have access to firearms. There are 17 states currently and uh, the District of Columbia have enacted these extreme risk laws. Uh, If you look at the list of states, and I'm not going to name them all right now, but if you look at the list, really every single state that has enacted these extreme risk laws is uh, a blue state other than Florida. Uh, Florida is the only Republican uh, state that has enacted such a law. And um, interestingly, Florida passed this law right after the Parkland shooting occurred. Basically, what happened with the Parkland shooting is that after uh, what happened there, a lot of that person's uh, peers, the kids that were at the school, came forward and said that they understood that that child had issues, that they, they knew that this kid had a lot of problems. And apparently, the shooter's mother reported to law enforcement that they she was concerned about her son and um, felt that he had certain issues. But um, because the extreme risk laws were not in place at the time in Florida, there wasn't really much that you could do because you can't arrest someone um, when they haven't done anything. So there was no real recourse in terms of preventing this from happening. With the extreme risk laws, I'll just explain exactly how it works. If you uh, are a family member you are uh, someone who has lived with someone who is showing signs that there's a serious risk that they may commit a violent crime. You could be an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, uh, an in-law, some form of family member. So you don't need to be a parent or a child. You could be any relative. You have the right, you have the standing to go to court and file a petition to the court basically expressing that you feel that this person is, there's a serious risk that this person might commit a violent crime. And you have to state your reasons and convince the court that what you're saying is true. And the person that you're complaining about has the opportunity to go to court and contest the petition and say, you know, sort of convince the court that they are not a serious risk. But if the court believes that the person is a serious risk, then effective immediately, uh, any firearms that they have in possession will be removed from them. Um, Usually it's for a period of about a year. And that person will also be prohibited from accessing firearms, purchasing firearms, 
And, um, you know, the, the petition can be renewed after a year. So after the year is up, you can go back to court and ask for the order to be extended for even more time. Um, and so that's the idea of it is that uh, when you feel that someone is a serious risk to themselves or to others, you can go to court and get this order. And this kind of allows there to be a way to prevent violent crimes from occurring before they've taken place. So it's a preemptive type of thing, a lot like a restraining order, which I'm sure a lot of you understand what a restraining order is. Um, that's what this is. It's called an extreme risk protection order. And so it's like a restraining order. It's an order of protection. Um, sometimes it's called a gun violence restraining order. And an extreme risk protection order, also known as an ERPO, you can either, if you feel that the situation is imminent and you need this order to be in place immediately, you can go to court and ask for an emergency order. So that's something that would be entered by the court before there's a full hearing. So you can go to court and um, you can even do that without giving the other person notice. You go to court, um, it's called an ex parte order, which means that the person that you're seeking this order against doesn't even get notice that you're trying to do this. You rush to court, you ask for an emergency order. If you tell the court why, you have to set forth in your papers what you believe. So you could say, I, I saw this person post on social media that they're planning on committing some sort of a shooting and that's supposed to take place in two days from now at this concert or whatever the case may be, the court can issue an emergency order so that it's effective immediately pending a full hearing. So what they'll do is they'll enter the order and then they'll schedule a hearing for two weeks later. So during those two weeks, that's the, during the time, that two-week period, the person is uh, not allowed to possess firearms, they're not allowed to purchase firearms, and then the hearing will take place. And at the hearing, there's a full evidentiary hearing where the person who is being accused of uh, making plans to commit some sort of a violent crime will have the opportunity to go to court and testify and present their evidence and convince the court that the order that's being contemplated is not necessary. And so the idea behind that is that there's due process and they'll have their day in court. And if the hearing shows that there is no reason to have this order um, put in place, then the temporary order will be terminated and there will be no permanent order. And that, that will be that. The person will continue to be allowed to possess firearms. But if the court is convinced that the person is a risk to either themselves or to others, then they will issue a one-year order. And that order, like I said before, could be extended after the year, depending upon what evidence shows up at the end of the year. So that's the idea behind it. And it's not just family members and people that have lived with the person um, and in-laws and that, that type of thing. It's also law enforcement that can go ahead and seek this type of an order. So with that being said, the idea behind that is if you are, just say you're following someone on social media and you start seeing them posting really crazy things and you're very concerned, you can call local law enforcement now and say to them, uh, I've seen these things. I want to show you what this person is posting. I'm very concerned that this person might be planning something and I want to make you aware of it. Law enforcement then has the ability to go to court and get one of these orders as well. 
So it's not just limited to the people that you are related to or living with. If you see a random stranger posting stuff that's really frightening or someone you went to high school with and they're starting to post really crazy things on social media, if you go to law enforcement, they now have the tools to do something about it before the person actually goes ahead and takes steps to commit these violent crimes. So that's one of the things that's so helpful about this is that when there are those warning signs, and that's why they call it the red flag laws, because it it has to do with seeing these warning signs and doing something ahead of time uh, to prevent this thing that the person is planning from happening. And so, you know, I think that it's so important for just the general public to understand that if you do see something Uh, You can say something and something can be done. Unfortunately, like I said before, these laws have only been enacted in 17 states, all of which, uh, with the exception of Florida, are blue states. So you can probably guess which states have these laws. But if you um, look on my show notes, I'll I'll post a link so that you can see the list um, and see if your state is one of the states that has these laws in place. But that's the idea behind it. And The people that are against it really are people that are huge proponents of the Second Amendment will argue that this is a violation of uh, people's Second Amendment rights and that they'll also argue that there are laws that are already in place that already address what the ERPO legislation addresses. But like I said before, that's not actually true because there are only very specific categories of people who are not allowed to possess firearms in this country. And I'm sure a lot of you have seen that those categories are not very broad and it's hard to have someone uh, determined to be ineligible to possess firearms. And so the people who are against these laws saying that we don't really need these laws, there are laws that are in place that uh, prevent these things from happening. Well, if that were the case, then why are these things constantly happening? And also One of the things that people who are against these laws will say is that the ERPOs don't provide a mechanism to deal with the underlying causes of the danger or the threat. And obviously that's true. Having a restraining order of sorts from owning or possessing or buying a firearm is not going to fix the actual problem that exists with the person. So if the person is suffering from some sort of mental illness the ERPO is not going to magically cure this person or make them better. But that's not the point. The point of this is that if somebody is having uh, suicidal thoughts or violent thoughts that they're thinking about hurting other people, the first order of business is to prevent them from doing that. And then obviously it's important to address the cause, but that doesn't negate the importance of the ERPO in the first place. Um, So I I think that's a pretty vacuous argument. But um, the people that are in favor of the ERPOs have cited to all sorts of statistics to show that the lack of access to firearms brings down the number of suicides exponentially. It obviously brings down the number of people who are dying from mass shootings and things of that nature. I can also... I'll linked to, um, you know, studies that show how these ERPO laws really bring down the numbers of people that are being killed because of gun violence. So the thought here is that 
the more states that pass these laws, the better. And just in terms of looking at the effect of these extreme risk laws, they've definitely been shown to reduce firearm suicides. Uh, In Indiana alone, there's been a 7.5% reduction in the firearm suicide rate. And in Connecticut, uh, there's been a 14% reduction in the firearm suicide rate. And then when you look at um, school shootings, I mean, in Maryland, the law was only enacted in 2018. And since then, it's been invoked in in at least four cases involving significant threats against schools, according to the leaders of Maryland's uh, Sheriff's Association. And in Florida, uh, the law that was passed there also in 2018 has been invoked in multiple cases of potential school violence. And, you know, in one case, there was a student who was accused of stalking his ex-girlfriend and threatening to kill himself. And in another case, uh, there was a potential school shooter who said killing people would be addicting. And in both of those cases, the extreme risk law was enforced and prevented these things from happening. And um, in Seattle, in the first year that the law was passed there, it recovered 200 firearms as a result of 48 ERPOs. And according to the city attorney's office, the use of ERPOs has been effective in temporarily preventing access to firearms by students who threaten violence against themselves, the school, and other students. One of the main things that um, people who are against these laws being passed will argue is that it denies due process to the person who owns the gun. And that's actually just not true because the person does have their day in court. So that's really not a a reasonable argument. And when you look at um, the public, 89% of people who have been polled are in favor of Congress passing an extreme risk law at the federal level. Um, There has been a law that was introduced in Congress. Um, I think it was introduced in January of this year. I tried to track what's going on with the law. It doesn't look like anything is happening with it. And the truth is, it's probably not likely that it'll be passed currently um, in in Congress. But uh, the idea of it, at least, would be that there would be this federally enacted law in place where if you see that there's something going on with someone, you have this ability to involve the court and get a court order preventing this person from having access to guns. Um, So obviously, it would be great if there was a federal law passed. But more realistically, I think that the states have this ability to enact these laws. And it's unfortunate that in a lot of cases, these laws were enacted after there was a shooting. So going back to Florida, that's exactly what happened there. There was a Parkland shooting, and then the law was passed. Same thing in California. There was a shooting, and after that happened, the law was passed. Hopefully, other states will see that the states that have enacted these laws have had a lot of success in using those laws to prevent there from being mass shootings and suicides, and hopefully those states will follow suit. But I just wanted to bring this to your attention because I think it's important for people to understand that there is a way to get involved and speak up and do something when you see something that seems a little disturbing and you have a feeling that maybe there's something going on. You know, again, the burden in court is to show that the person poses a serious risk. That's the standard. Um, So you'd have to be able to convince a court that there is a real problem and that there's an imminent danger involved. And at that point, you would hope that the court would 
issue this order preventing the person from having access to firearms. But again, that person will have their opportunity to be heard and they can come to court and present whatever evidence they feel they need to show to convince the court that they are not a risk to themselves or to others. And hopefully even the fact that there's um, a, a petition like this filed might prompt that person to get the help that they need Maybe it'll be a wake-up call when there's a court that's saying, look, you're a danger to yourself and to others. Um, Hopefully that might prompt certain medical attention uh, because, yes, at the end of the day, uh, these orders do not get to the actual cause. They're not curing um, the problem, but they are keeping the public safe, which really at the end of the day is the goal here, um, at least in the immediate sense, is to keep people safe while hopefully the person who's having certain issues is getting help. And so that's what I wanted to cover today. I hope this made sense. Again, I'm crazy jet lagged. The trip was fantastic, but it is a little bit weird to go from being in a place that's nine hours ahead to then being back here. Um, And so I'm still kind of acclimating, but um, I just wanted to get an episode out. I've missed recording and uh, I appreciated the response to the last podcast Uh, I got a lot of positive uh, feedback, which was very much appreciated. And I'd love to continue to hear from you guys. So please feel free to reach out. Uh, My email address is thewholetruthpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at thewholetruthpod and on Facebook at thewholetruthwithjillrosenswag. Thank you so much and have a great week. Bye.